Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank we are thankful for you. We're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for another day not promised. And we gather as a community and as a family of believers, God, to proclaim your your great name, to proclaim your word, God, to receive your word. And during this time, I pray that as we open up your word and receive your truth, that, God, we have two options. We can either accept it or reject it, but we can't ignore it. And so this morning, I pray for every single individual in this room, whether they feel like they crawled in here spiritually because, God, they're close to the end, or maybe they ran in here spiritually because they're on the mountaintop, that regardless, we would submit ourselves in understanding that no matter how low or how, God, at the mountaintop we may feel, that, God, your word speaks to us all, and we can all humbly accept and obey your word this morning and be better for it. God, you're great. You're amazing. We love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your precious and holy son's name. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Harvest. My name is Trey. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And um, I just want to say, if you're a first-time guest, welcome. It is good to see you. And um, you don't have to believe to belong at a place like this. Uh, We're glad you're here. And if you consider Harvest your church home, it's good to see family again. It's good to see our community again. And so, welcome. We have been in a collection of talks called uh, Prisons to Playgrounds. And kind of the concept behind this series uh, has been, you know, when you think about a prison, you think about a playground, there's not much difference. Prison has walls, it has fences, it has gates, and it has supervision. A playground has walls, fences, gates, and supervision. One is meant to enjoy, and the other one is meant to endure and to deplete joy. Uh, And there are a lot of things in our lives that we believe that we sometimes view as a prison that God has actually called us to enjoy like a playground. And so what we've been doing is we've been going through the book of Philippians. We've been going verse by verse all the way through the book. And this week was supposed to be our last week. But as just reading this passage, we're going to extend it one more week. Uh, So next week will be the last week of this series, and we'll finish out Philippians next week. But um, this week, there is something I'm really excited to talk about. And I think it's really prevalent um, in our culture and maybe even where you are individually, your family is, your community is, country, and even possibly the world is. I want to ask you this question. Um, Have you ever felt or do you feel stressed, anxious, there was a time when, um, back when I was in student ministry and, like, in student ministry, I was a youth pastor for six years. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, when I was in youth group. Every single summer, my youth pastor would take us on a missions trip, and um, there was one summer we went to Guyana. And I've told this story before, maybe you've heard it, um, but we went to Guyana, and I was 16, and um, I was, a lot of me and my friends went, and the missionary there was like a George of the Jungle type guy. Like, uh, we took baths in the creek, um, and he, like, loved every second of it. Uh, we, there was one time we were walking down this little, like, canal, and, you know, it was about chest level, and we were just exploring. There were monkeys, like, over top of us in the trees, and um, the, the guy, the missionary in front of us was walking, and he just went completely underwater and then popped up. He goes, guys, this is where your feet can no longer touch, but we're going to keep going about 100 yards this way regardless. Uh, by the way, this is where they killed a 20-foot python the other week. And we all turned around. We're like, we're out. Like, bye. See ya. We're not, we're not doing this. And he was like, come on, guys. It's fun. We're like, no, it's not, dude. I, I don't know what you think fun is, but this is not fun. 
Um, but there was, anyways, one morning, uh, he says, hey, guys, if you want to, we're going to go to this uh, mountaintop where actually you can see some bordering countries. And so we're like, okay, yeah, that sounds fun. So we get up, you know, super early, and we go on this long hike. And along the hike, I don't think anything of it. I'm just following this guy. Well, on the way back, um, we uh, well, we get to the mountaintop, and I do, you know, I'm 16. I do some yoga poses like like an idiot and just get some pictures taken. That's besides the point. But uh, we on the way back down, I didn't realize this, but there was a ton of forks in the road that I didn't know were there because the whole time we were just walking up one path. But on the way back down, there were a lot of forks on the road that went to different villages, that went to different roads and whatnot. And my buddy of mine had to tie his shoes. So he was like, would you mind waiting with me? So, yeah, it's me, him, and his girlfriend, and a little eight-year-old girl um, who was part of uh, the village that we were in. And some of the kids came with us, and she was hanging out with us. And um, my friend bent down to tie his shoes, and um, I'm just, I'm not thinking of it. I'm just laughing it up with him and whatnot. And I look up, and I don't see the group. And um, I don't panic. I was like, all right, I, I think we went this way. And we start going this way. And then nothing starts to look familiar. And then we start to go this way. And I asked the girl, I was like, do you know where um, Whitewater Village is? And she goes, I'm like, girl, you're from here. You're supposed to know this, right? Um, and so next thing you know, we are like going down these different paths. And I have no idea where we are. And it's getting to the point where we've been lost for about an hour. And we cannot find our way back to this village. And I'm the type of person, I thought, you know, when you watch Bear Grylls or when you watch, like, uh, you know, Man vs. Wild or something like that, you're like, oh, I could do that. Maybe you're not like that, but I was under the impression that I could. And about, about an hour in, I honestly started to think, I'm going to kill and eat the boyfriend first. Like, that's who I'm, like, that's what I'm thinking of. Like, I will kill him and I will eat him. Like, that's going to be my first target. Um, and, like, I, I was just, I started to have this moment of panic. And the village we were in had no electricity, and we come upon this village where it has running water and it has electricity. I'm like, I think we're lost, guys. And so I walk up to this random person's house, and we're the only white people, like, in the village, and so everybody's staring at us. And so I walk up, I'm like, hi, no habla espanol. Okay, like, uh, I just, I keep on going, and I finally find somebody that speaks English. I'm like, hey, I need to find Whitewater Creek, and they're like, I'm like, Okay, I know we're lost. So good. It's about a three-hour walk that way. I'm like, okay. So you're like, you get on this trail, and you do not leave this trail. I'm like, got it. Stay on the trail. Do not leave this trail. And they're like, no, for real. Do not leave this trail. I was like, okay, sheesh. So we're walking down this trail, and, y'all, I am stressed. Like, I am anxious. I'm like, I'm 16 years old. I'm going to die in Guyana, and my mom's going to kill me. Like, that's how I felt. I was like, I'm, she's going to kill me for doing this. And so we're walking down this trail, and it starts to get to, like, where we're walking through these swamps, and it's no longer a dirt road. I'm walking on, like, a two-by-four through this swamp. And this is the trail. And this two-by-four, like, there's, a, like, a thousand of them. They just align, like, so we're, like, like balance beaming it through this swamp. And there's monkeys everywhere, there's insects everywhere, spiders like the size of this podium everywhere. Obviously exaggeration, but a little bit bigger. But like I, I, there's, there's just like so many bugs everywhere. And I really am panicking until we get to the point where this clearing opens after about three hours of walking. And I realize exactly where we are and the village we're trying to get to is literally like 100 yards that way. And so we run and... Um, 
we get to the church that we were all sleeping in with the missionary, and uh, he, one of the chaperones, one of the moms comes running out and like hugs us and was crying. It was like, I thought we had lost you. Oh my gosh, I was ready to call your mom. I was ready to call the president. Like I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was ready to like, I, we had to get you home. And she was crying, and then the missionary comes walking. I was like, oh good, you're back. I'm like, bro, he's like, oh, it's just another day in Guyana. <laughs> and it's like, I'm never coming back. Uh, and long story short, ended up got bit by a monkey and got really sick and had a mono from that disease or from that place. But that's no longer the point. Um, I, I, uh, I was stressed out of my mind at that place. I was anxious. And when I was stressed and I was anxious, thoughts were going through my head. Uh, I was talking irrationally. Did I cry? No, but were my eyes sweating? Absolutely, in a lot. Um, I, I was overwhelmed, and I was stressed, and I was anxious, and I did not know what to do. Have you ever felt like that, where you are stressed and you are anxious? You don't know which path to take. You don't know what to do. Life is overwhelming, and you don't even know if anybody actually sees you or cares. The um, Global Risk Report, which is a big company, did a study and found that 80% of people worldwide deeply struggle with stress and anxiety. And stress... The thing about stress is it, it typically comes from circumstance, right? It comes from either circumstance relationally or circumstance just by happenstance. It, it, it typically comes from circumstance. And a lot of these times, we have no control over what actually caused the stress on our lives, and so with that being said, we, there's things that we're stressed about that either are currently happening or maybe that haven't even happened yet, but they could go wrong, right? And we all feel stress in our lives at some level. Life is crazy. Life is hectic, right? There's not as much money in the account as we would like. There's not as many cars in the driveway as we would like. We walked in and our kid's wearing a Patriots jersey and life is stressful and is anxious. You're like, what is happening to my house? <laughs> and we're just like, what do we do? Life is crazy. Life is stressful. And a lot of us handle stress differently, don't we? Some of you clean, right? I wish that was my, <laughs> that was my coping mechanism to stress, cleaning. That's my mom's coping mechanism. Anytime I walked in the house, my mom was vacuuming. I'm like, okay, something's up with her. Some of you like to bake. And again, I'm not like, I'm like, be more stressed more often and then come over to our house and like bring all the baked goods. Some of you like to eat when you're stressed. Comfort foods. Some of you like to work out. Some of you like to play video games, you binge watch TV shows, you call someone, you talk to someone, and the super spiritual people pray about it. <laughs> but we all cope with stress and anxiety in some way, shape, or form. But after we have eaten too much, cooked enough food for the entire military, used up all of our rollover minutes as if that's still a thing because we're talking on the phone so much, or worked out every single muscle in our body, that circumstance that caused the stress most of, more often than not is still there. Some of you are like, I'm so stressed, I just need to take a nap. Well, when you wake up, it's still there. And more often than not, when we cope and when we do these things, we're not actually dealing with the problem. We're numbing 
our emotions and our feeling and our stress to the problem without ever doing anything about the problem. You know, and a lot of times we're just going to go through seasons in life that's just hard. Like, I, I love you enough to say, like, you're going to go through seasons of life where it's out of your control, but it's just difficult. It's just really hard. It's hectic, and it's stressful, and it's anxious. Right now, me and my wife, we have two kids under two. It's stressful, but it's a season. This is a season of life that we are in, and, and you know, we would be comically um, mistaken if we think once we just get them past the this stage then life will really just mellow out I used to tell my dad you know like I'm out of the house my brother other brother is getting married my other brother uh, is about to graduate college and then my sister uh, is 13 and once all the boys are out of the house and it's just them they have all the money in the world like life is good you're no longer stressed right and he laughs in my face <laughs> And we think that, like, okay, once we get out of this stressful sea, then life is smooth sailing. But then it's just stressful, and then more stress, and then more anxiousness. And the next thing you know, there is just this never-ending season of stressfulness. And I can go to the gym all I want, and I can try to deal with it there, but I still come back, and the circumstances are still the same. Lauren can vape all she wants. No, I'm just kidding. But the circumstances are still the same. I made a joke about about that a couple weeks ago, and there were some people in the church that literally thought that Lauren vaped. I'm here to clear the air because Lauren sometimes gets smoke in the air from vaping. That Lauren does not vape, all right? She doesn't vape. Just wanted to clear the air with that, all right? Just FYI. But whether it is circumstantial, seasonal, is it possible to find joy or to find joy in the middle of stressful circumstances or season? I'm going to give you the answer so that way you're not left wondering. The answer is yes. In the book of Philippians, we're going to land uh, tonight, we're going to, or this morning, we're going to start at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. And the author Paul, uh, may I remind you, he is writing this book from prison. He is writing this book uh, in chains. And so, needless to say, Paul is stressed. Right, Paul is, he's in, his seasonal, he's in a season of stress where there are a number of churches that need him to come and visit and preach and pastor the pastors and help lead these movements in these cities. And Paul is stuck in chains for doing what? Tax evasion? For doing what? Uh, no, for just simply preaching the gospel. And he's just out in the corner just telling people about Jesus. The religious leaders of that day and age were like, we don't like that, throw him in jail. So Paul's in jail for simply just saying, Jesus loves you, he died for you, and you're a sinner, and you need him as a savior. Throw him in prison. So Paul is stressed, and he uh, coaches the church in Philippi on how they can move forward even when under great stress. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. We're going to read some passages, we're going to read some verses, I'm going to give you some practical applications, um, and help hopefully address this thing. I want to give you three things to pay attention to whenever we are in a season of stress. Three things that we need to pay attention to that I believe Paul addresses in the book of Philippians that we need to pay attention to in seasons of stress. Number one, you ready for this? Your focus. Your focus. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, it says this, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies 
of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The part of this I really want to hone in on right now is this. Join in me and keep your eyes on those walking according to the example you have in us. Don't walk with the enemies of the cross. In seasons of stress and anxiousness, here's something that you need to focus on. There's a couple things we're going to focus on that we're in this little section, but First thing is this, focus on your relationships. Focus on your relationships. Focus on surrounding yourself with people who will keep you in line with the word of God. Ask them questions, trust their wisdom. And season of of extreme stress and anxiousness, here's something that should be a key indicator to you of if you're dealing with this correctly, is if you're asking more questions or assuming you have all the answers. You need to be asking more questions rather than assuming you have all the answers. You need to find somebody who you will, and here's what I mean by asking them questions. Like, what do you do? Hey, when, you, when, when you were walking through the season, how did you handle this? What did you do? How did you go about this? Because what Paul is saying is like, listen, hey, when you're starting to question some things and you're stressed because you don't know if you're going to get thrown in prison for even meeting as a church because I got thrown in prison, here's what I want you to do. Continue to imitate those who walk in the way of the righteous. Ask them questions. What do you do? How did you do this? What are you currently doing? What are you reading? How are you going about this? What do I do? And listen. Don't come in with the assumption that you have all the answers. Listen. Don't listen to the lawnmower. Listen, right? <laughs> Listen, and when that fight or flight mentality kicks in, fight for the right relationships. With right relationships in any seasons of stress, you'll find this, that they actually fight for you. Whether it be through prayer or whether it be through advice and wise counsel, find people and fight for the right relationships. And when you do, they will actually fight for you. And what Paul, continuing on, warns the church is... Don't take cues about how to live your life from people who don't follow Jesus. This life is as good as it's going to get for them. They only ha- the only hope they have is what fleeting joy they can momentarily grasp through actions and deeds for self-pleasure. And what Paul is saying, surround yourself with a church-like community, with biblical community, and seasons of stress that you can call up and say, I'm overwhelmed, what do I do? What did you do? And when they give you biblical counsel, listen. Heed to it, and in fact, ask for it. That's what we need to focus on, is right relationships that have eternity in mind. Focus on finding people who will help you walk right, but also focus on the truth. And again, this is where the eternal, this is the next part of our focus. Focus on that we are eternal beings. What Paul is saying and and, and said uh, in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
Residency is where we are now. Citizenship is where we will be for eternity. So I have to understand that no matter how hectic and hard life gets and stressful as life gets, I have to understand that this is not forever. I have to understand that this is not my end-all, be-all for my life. Like in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, This life is but a vapor in the wind. It will go by so quickly. And these seasons of stress, well, we will look back and we're like, I know I stressed really bad about that, but looking back on it now, I didn't need to stress that much. When we have an eternal perspective on things, it helps us deal with the stress in ways that are that God intended for us to deal with it. Not like the all-consuming, you know, in sports, uh, when you turn on ESPN and some 13-year-old had a crazy dunk in the game, they, they say, is this the next Michael Jordan? And what they do, and that kid is actually never heard of again. He just had one good play. And what they do is they actually, they use this term prisoners of the moment. We become a prisoner of the moment where this moment is all-consuming. And we label this moment as a story of our lives. Like this is what my life is defined by is of this moment and of this season. When actually that's not the case. The moment our life is defined by is the moment that we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And that we are eternally citizens of heaven and just happen to be residents here on earth. So our focus needs to be on healthy relationships. It does. It needs to be on eternity. And we continue on in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Uh, sometimes when you sit underneath sermons, people like, like stop at chapters as if like between 3 and 4 there's like invisible wall. It's like, let me in. It continue on. It's a, it's, a, it's a linear letter. Okay, so Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and it says this. Therefore, my brothers, right? Anytime there's a therefore, we need to remind ourselves what's the therefore, therefore. Have right relationships. Maintain your focus. Watch what you are focusing on. So, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea, and I entreat Sanukde to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So here's what's happening in this portion of the letter. He gets to this part and he goes, therefore, stand firm in the gospel. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And he calls out these two women, right? He calls out these two women for having a, a strife in their relationship. How would you over something really petty, like to have your names dropped in the Bible for, the, for generations of Christians to read about and be like, these two women are petty individuals. Not me, but that's what God did. So uh, watch out because you could be next. So we continue on. These two godly women had some relational strain, and Paul encouraged them to strive for what? Unity. Because that relationship mattered. And Paul tells these two women, he tells us, strive for unity. How much of your stress is relational? How much of it has to do with, um, maybe it's the workload you feel at work, but the family feels it. Everybody else is on edge. What does Paul say to do? Ignore it? Compartmentalize it? Ignore the tension? Ignore the hurt? 
to let everyone know the wrong that was done to you and demonize other people? Because that's how we're going to deal with it? Paul doesn't say any of that. Paul doesn't even say that this is a sin issue. Right? Because some stress isn't because of sin, it's just stress. And not all rifts in relationships are sin issues. But nonetheless, strive for unity. So how do we strive for unity? How do we do that? Here's a couple things I want us to remember. And they're not going to be on the screen, but if you would just lean in and listen. Number one, remember that we are on the same team. There have been many times where I have come home from work and Lauren, my wife, is my lightning rod for all the stress and anger. And she has to remind me, like I have to remind her sometimes, like we are not the enemy. You are not the enemy. I am not the enemy in this house. We are not the enemy. And I have friends who, like I am a safe place for them and they're a safe place for me. And when they get to talking, I have to remind, like guys, we are not the enemy here. You are not the enemy. I am not the enemy. Even the people you're complaining about, they're not the enemy. With the stress and the tension and the brokenness of our world, I want you to understand something that, and I would even argue that no single human being on this planet is the enemy. They may do evil things, but they are not our enemy. There is one enemy, and those people that do evil things are victims of that enemy because they have bought into the lie that he spews. And so that is something we have to remember when we strive for unity It is possible because people are not our enemy. Strive for unity by remembering that, you know what, you have bought into a lie of the enemy. And so I don't combat you with God's word to beat you up. I combat with God's word to help reveal a greater truth than what you're currently living, believing, and walking in. And we strive for unity together. Second thing, invite godly and trusted counsel for wisdom. Listen and respond to their biblical counsel. There are going to be some things where you and a friend, you and your spouse, you and your kids, and you're like, we've tried to hash it out, and it ends up turning into a screaming match, and none of us are willing to to, um, admit we were wrong. I think it's time for you guys, if your relationship matters to you, which it should, I think it's time for you to go find biblically wise counsel. Find people that you respect in the faith and say, I really want to fight for unity in this relationship, but I just can't do it. I either need advice or I need you to come into my home and sit down with us and help us figure this out. Strive for unity. Invite godly counsel and trusted wisdom into your home and into your relationships. And number three, commit to work it out. And it's going to require a lot of humility on both parties and a lot of forgiveness. But is it not worth it? I don't want to get to the end of my life and have a lot of burned bridges in my life. I want to get to the point of my life where I feel like like the bridges are still good because I fought for healthy relationships. In fact, me and Lauren were actually talking about this. We were driving yesterday and... We were just talking about just some different relationships in our lives. And I just got to the point where I was like, Lauren, there has to come a point, And I feel like there has to come a point where, and I'm talking about myself. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to get up here and belittle Lauren. Like, Lauren needs to submit. Lauren needs to, no, that's not what I'm talking about. There, there has to come a point, like, where I was just telling her, I was like, I'm tired of people saying, um, like, uh, hey, I'm done. 
I'm done with this relationship. I'm done with this. I'm done with that. And I have not fought for it. I'm tired of being the person who says, all right, if you don't want to be here, then you don't have to be here. And there are relationships I regret in my life. My regrets with these relationships is that I did not fight. I let them walk. And you see a lot of stuff on Facebook. You see a lot of stuff on social media that says, let the people walk, walk. If they want to be there, they'll be there. Go a whole week without texting somebody and see if they're even your friend. I'm here to tell you what a terrible way to go about life and how many relationships that, you, that, you, that God probably orchestrated and put into your life that you should have fought for but you let go. That's not a biblical way of going about life. If that was the case, if that was the case, then when humanity walked away from God, God should have just washed his hands at the Garden of Eden and said, you're on your own peace. But a Christ-like friend says, I will go through hell for you if it means one day you get to see Jesus through me. There are relationships in our lives that are worth fighting for. And it may cause stress, and it may feel like you don't want to fight for it in the middle of a stressful season. They may be even the cause of your stress, but they are worth fighting for. Now, there will come a point where you say, I have done all I can. And I just don't know anything else I can do. They just don't want to be my friend. They don't want to be in a relationship. And I'm here to tell you, that's okay. That's okay. But if they ever pull around and text you and say, I'm sorry. Do not be waiting there with arms folded and be like, get on your knees and grovel. (laughs) Kiss the ring, you know. (laughs) Will you be like the prodigal son to them, the the father in the prodigal son story? And be like, I saw you coming from a mile away. Welcome back. Your relationships matter. And striving for unity is not just a good idea, it's a biblical concept. And my third and final thought is, is this. So your focus, your relationships, and number three, your thoughts. Your thoughts. These are things to keep in check whenever we are walking through stressful seasons. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This will be the last bit of passage that we read in Philippians this morning. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Pause. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I think I read that wrong. Um, Complain, because life is not ideal always, and again I say complain. No, that's not right. Um, You know, like, be uncontent always because life is is broken, and again I say be uncontent. No, it says rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice. Have joy in your life. Why? Because you have another day not promised. That is today. And Psalms teaches us that we get to say good night to mistakes and good morning to grace. So rejoice. Rejoice that I do not have to wake up going, if I were to breathe my last breath today, either I'm just done, life is extinct, will I be reincarnated, will I come back as a fly, will I come back as a cow, I don't have to worry about anything, when I breathe my last breath, I will see Jesus face to face. So I'm going to rejoice. 
I'm going to rejoice because I know where I should be based on the path I was walking when I was following my own instincts and my own flesh. But instead, there was a point in my life where God convicted me and, and, and transformed my spirit. So I, that way I walk, not perfectly, but I walk in obedience. And I see how his word has transformed my life and I'm so much better for it. Not because I deserve praises on the back, but because I realized I am not the end-all, be-all of wisdom and doing good deeds. But God in his sovereignty and of his grace compels me and draws me to walk in the ways of the righteous and my life is better for it. So I will rejoice because I have a God who doesn't abandon me on this path but through his word and his light and because he's the good shepherd leads me to the path of righteousness so I will rejoice. I am going to rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. When's the last time you actually rejoiced? I'm not talking about like jump up in the air and, you know, 30 inch vertical and like click your heels together. Some of you will tear an ACL just straight up if you do that. But when's the last time you actually just, you thought about the goodness of God through song or through thought or in a message and you just smiled and you just went, God, thank you. You know, genuinely like, God, thank you. Like I'm going to rejoice in who you are. I'm going to rejoice with what I have. I'm going to rejoice in who you have called me to be. I'm going to rejoice in the gospel. I'm going to rejoice in the fact that I'm not standing here knowing I'm going to heaven because I worked my way to this moment. Right? Like, I'm not about to pull out my wallet and be like, here's the gold card. Do any of y'all have it? Like, I'm a rewards member. It's not... I rejoice in the fact that all I did was simply put my faith in the person of Jesus and now my eternity is forever changed. I will rejoice in that. We should all rejoice in the Lord always. <laughs> and that which is repeated needs to be heeded, right? And again, I say rejoice. One of the biggest misconceptions, we, sorry, we get farther on in the, let, let me finish the passage. Uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Your gentleness be known to everyone. Your calmness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you read this passage, which is an age-old passage, it's like one of those passages that you remember a lot. You see it all over social media. It's right. Be anxious for nothing. And I've heard a lot of sermons on this passage. And a lot of times when it says, be anxious for nothing, when it says, don't do this, here's what we do a lot, because this is how pastors have taught, and maybe this is how you've actually read the Bible, have been taught to read the Bible. Anytime it says, don't do something, we equate it with sin. Don't do this. Okay, that's a sin. Don't do that. That's a sin. Don't become this. All right, that's a sinful person. But here's the thing. When, when Paul is writing this letter, he says, be anxious for nothing. And when the verses that call out sin, the consequences of that sin, the consequences of becoming that person are not far removed from that warning. Don't do this for this will happen. Don't become this because then this will happen. And the consequences of our sin is pretty clearly laid out in most passages of the Bible. Here, there is no consequence. So what does that lead us to believe? 
It leads us to believe this, and it leads me to believe this, that there has been a misconception about anxiety and stress taught amongst the church and believers for too long. Here is what I would say about anxiety. Anxiety is not a sin. It is a signal that it is time to pray. Be anxious for nothing. God, I'm really anxious. And God's not going, well, then peace out then. That's not what God, God's not like, hey, all the guardian angels that, that, that cover Bill, we're gone. Why? He's anxious. He's sinning. That's not what God is saying. And that's not even the consequence for sin. What God is saying is, and what Paul is saying, and God is speaking through Paul to this church and to us, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, make your requests known to God through prayer. So anxiety is not a sin. It is a signal that it is time to pray. How do I know anxiety is not a sin? How do I know stress is not a sin? Prove it scripturally. All right, let's do this. Uh, Jesus lived a perfect life. He did not sin once. Tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Was Jesus ever anxious or stressed? Yes. What? Yes, he was. Jesus was anxious. He was stressed. The all-knowing, all-sovereign, all-good, powerful God. The one who spoke creation into existence. He was stressed and anxious? Yes. Where? Where in the Bible was Jesus stressed and, and when was he anxious? I'm glad you asked. In Matthew chapter 26, we come up upon this story in the garden. We come upon this story and, and Jesus is in the upper room and He's talking to his disciples, and he foretells that one of the disciples is going to betray him. And they go through the Lord's Supper together, and they go on this walk, and they end up at this garden. And Jesus goes, I need to get away, and I need to pray. I need to get away, and I need to pray. And here's what this passage said. We're going to read verses 36 through 44 together. And it says this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37, and it says, and talking with him, Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. It's anxious. It's stressed. Even to death, remain here and watch with me. Continuing on, verse 39, or in verse 38, it says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So I want to stop there and just and pause. We're not going to read the rest of it. But here's what happens. Jesus is saying his disciples, I am stressed, I am overwhelmed, my soul, the very part of who I am, it is troubled. Will you go and will you pray with me? Yes, Jesus, of course. He's walking in this garden and he's so overwhelmed that he drops to his knees. I don't know about you, but I have never felt that stress where it drops me to my knees while I'm walking. I have been to the point where it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. 
I've been to the point where I don't want to wake up when my alarm goes off. Where you don't know if, to be honest, if you even want to take care of yourself anymore. Because you're just so overwhelmed about the heaviness of life. And Jesus drops to his knees and he falls on his face. This is not some random average dude. This is Jesus who falls on his face and he says, God, if it be possible, I don't want to do this anymore. And God hears him just like he hears you. And Jesus goes, if there's another way to go about this life that isn't stressful, that isn't full of brokenness, why was Jesus so overwhelmed? Why was he so troubled? Because he was going through something that you and I will never go through and experience, but the weight of that emotion you and I will experience because we live in a broken world. But here's why Jesus was on his knees and face down before God. And later on it says that he was so stressed he was sweating blood. That's how worked up his body was. And what cup was he talking about? What did he ask God to remove from his path of life? It was the cross. He said, God, if there's another way to save these people, I need to know. Because I can't, I don't know if I can do this. And God essentially says, Jesus, either you go to the cross and you die. And the Bible says that Jesus goes to hell when he dies. And hell thought it had won. And God says, either Jesus, you die and you go to hell temporarily. Or they die and they go to hell eternally. And Jesus goes, I'll go. But it's a lot. And here's why it's a lot. Because Jesus knew what was going to happen on that cross. He wasn't stressed and on his knees before God because men were going to whip him and put shards of glass on the ends of the whips that will rip out his flesh, puncture his lungs, exposing his rib cage and his spine. That's not why he was sweating. He wasn't sorrowful because they were going to shove a crown of thorns that long into his skull and that's not why he was sweating blood, and that's not why he was sorrowful. He wasn't sorrowful because men were literally going to rip out his beard that he formed in the mother's womb, men he knew by name and their story. That's not why he was sweating blood. He wasn't sweating blood because the Son of God was going to ask for drink, and they were going to give him vinegar to make him spit out and throw up. That's not why he was sweating blood. He wasn't sweating blood because when he got put on trial, they were going to yell for the release of a well-known murderer over the release of some guy who claimed to be the son of God and the king of kings and the savior of the world. He was sweating blood and he was on his knees, face before God, because he knew on that cross all the wrath and all the hatred and all the judgment that God was, should unleash on us for our sin at, the, at a moment's notice was going to obliterate him on the cross and he was going to have to wear it all. It would be like this. It would be like taking this entire building 500 yards in the air, putting a little tiny china teacup on the floor and then dropping this building on it. Does it have a chance of not being obliterated? No, it's going to be obliterated. And Jesus was obliterated on the cross for you and for me. That's why he was stressful. That's why he was anxious. But as we know the story goes, 
he dies. He says it is finished, meaning your guilt and your shame that you carry in your life, it's done. You don't need to carry it anymore. It's very plain and honest, like he died and bore it so that way you never have to. But he was stressed and he was anxious. And what did he do? He surrounded himself with disciples, with his people. And he said, would you pray with me? I can't do this by myself. Can you pray with me? I can't even walk. Can you pray with me? And his disciples said, absolutely. In fact, when the Roman soldiers came, his disciples woke up and Peter drew out his, his sword against an army of Romans. And Jesus was like, Peter, put your sword away, dude. <laughs> Let them take me. He surrounded himself. He knew what his, what was he focusing on? He was focusing on eternity. His focus was correct. He understood that the suffering of this time was nothing compared to the future glory that awaits. Where's your focus? Is it on eternity? Or are you all consumed in a prisoner of the moment? How are your relationships? Is there a group, not even 12 people, is there a group of two people that you can text and be like, hey, I'm not okay. I am stressed, I am anxious, and I can't even get out of bed. And they'll show up, and they'll pray. They won't say, hey, sending good vibes or praying for you. It's like, no, they're showing up, and they're, and they're coming through. Do you have people like that? If not, fight for people like that. Be somebody like that. And then third, your thoughts. Jesus said, God, I'm thinking this way, and God says, I need you to think this way. And Jesus goes, all right. Because at the end of this passage, he says, not my will be done, but yours. Are you anxious? It's time to pray. It's time to pray. And what is pray? Prayer is us simply reminding our souls how good and great God is and receiving the peace that God gives through his spirit that guards your already anxious hearts and minds with understanding that no matter what stressful situation I'm in, that God is with me, that God is for me, and that God is comforting me even now. When's the last time you prayed and prayed this specific prayer? God, who has all-surpassing peace and understanding, I need you right now. I need peace. And here's the thing. When you ask for it, God gives it to you. I'm going to end with this story really quickly. And it goes like this. There was one time I was in college, and I got a text from one of my buddies, our friend, he had committed suicide at his house, and I show up to the house, and my friend is in the backyard in the corner, and the police haven't even gotten there yet. It's just me and my friend. And I didn't know what to do, and we were just overwhelmed, and so we knew our friend was saved. He had just let anxiety and depression and stress build up in him without keeping his focus on the right things, without surrounding himself with people who would be there for him if he just reached out to them, and so his thoughts led him to that action. And there was a moment where we were mourning and weeping, but we knew we couldn't change a thing about this. It was done. That was, our, that was our circumstance. And we just had to get away and say, God, we can't do a thing about a thing right now, but here's what we do. We pray for supernatural peace. 
in our lives. We pray for supernatural peace in that guy's family's lives. We pray for supernatural peace in the people that are going to be coming in here and doing this work. God, we pray for supernatural peace. And you know what happened? It didn't, it didn't make us super happy about what was going on, but we had peace and we had joy in knowing that he was with Jesus face to face. Because we ask for wisdom, we ask for clarity, and we ask for peace. And in the middle of a terrible, stressful, anxious situation, God came through. Like he always does. Who in your life can you call upon to help you keep your focus? And who in your life can you call upon in prayer? I think these are three things that will really help us in the middle of stressful and anxious situations. Here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to all stand. We're going to sing. And if you're dealing with stress and anxiety, we've done this before and we're going to keep doing this. And if you don't participate or, or move, that's completely okay. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up what we call it. When you come down front, there is no real, like, it, we call it the altar. It's just church tradition to call it that. But here's what thing you do at the altar. You bring, especially in the Old Testament, you bring a sacrifice to Jesus. And you leave it there. And this morning, I w- I'm wondering if you would be willing to sacrifice your stress. <laughs> if you would be willing to sacrifice those anxious thoughts. And lay it before God. And here's what you don't do at the altar in the Old Testament. You don't grab the lamb or the sheep and bring it back with you. You leave it. And you say, I'm done with it. I wonder if you, whatever anxious thoughts that you've let get wildly out of control. The comfortableness of living in isolation that maybe you've become so comfortable in. If you would bring that and say, I'm I'm bringing this thought of isolation to you and I'm getting back up and I'm going to find community today. (laughs) Or your focus. God, help me focus on the things that you have for me. And I'm bringing you the things I have been focusing on that I should. I'm bringing it to the altar and I'm done. I'll be down here. I'll pray with you. There are leaders down here that will pray with you. Would you just be willing to just spend a moment, the next two to three minutes as we sing this song, just in prayer? Surrounded by people who are praying for this community. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we're grateful for you. And God, we sing. God, sometimes we need to pray and praise out of the valley. And this is how we fight. We fight with reminding our souls where our focus should be. We fight by surrounding ourselves with people. Because just like Elijah God, I pray that these people would see that even though there's an enemy that surrounds them, that there is a greater ally around the enemy. And the enemy is actually outnumbered and outmatched. Because it cannot and will not stand against the church of the living God. And this church proclaims in spirit and in truth that we will fight for each other in prayer, in community. We'll have each other's backs that we will do our best to make sure loneliness is not a character trait of this church. We're going to pray. Prayer is the end of me and just the beginning of him. So God, we pray this morning for supernatural peace, supernatural understanding, as we rejoice in the Lord always. And again, God, we rejoice in Jesus' name.
Amen.